Hello and welcome to a slightly different Green Pole uh, podcast this week. I'm Dan Crawford, the editor of Hammy End. Um, I'm very grateful to be back in circulation. Uh, perhaps watching the game in person yesterday wasn't the greatest uh, life choice I've made because I had to scramble through planes, trains and automobiles to get back from uh, Stockport during a national rail strike in time for the kickoff. I managed it. And I'm a bit disappointed I did. Also disappointed, I'm sure, that he tuned in at a godforsaken time on the other side of the Atlantic. Here's my good friend, Max Cohen. Max, how are you doing? I'm doing all right, Dan. It's good to be on the podcast with you. I actually haven't done one of these with you on the Green Pole, which is which is funny considering we're in October, but it's great to have our first show together. Uh, you messaged me after the match. You said you got over it quite quickly. And I wish I wish I could say the same. I'm still quite annoyed about it. The pain is still <laughs> lingering, and I'm sure we'll hear about quite how uh, quite how much that damaging defeat uh, disturbed you. Um, yeah, I got over it quite quickly because there are certain things that uh, have happened in the last couple of weeks that remind you that it is just football. Um, so I, I suffered a bereavement uh, a couple of weeks ago or, or late last week, and our good friend and co-host, uh, Alan Druitt, also suffered um, a bereavement last week, the loss of his mother-in-law, Debbie Willie. Um, and our thoughts go out to all of Debbie's friends and family. I know she was a great support to, to Alan, his partner, their children, um, and a wider Fulham family. And when something like that happens, you do realise that uh, football, although it's great and it brings us all together, is just part of a small part of life. And it's the people that... Uh, make our football experience in large part the players but also the people that we go to matches with and return from matches to see um, and one of those people who we all saw at half time yesterday was Kevin McDonald um, it was lovely to see uh, Kevin McDonald looking so well and healthy and eager to resume both his playing and potential coaching career uh, hopefully at Fulham at, uh, at some point and as someone suggested to me uh, at half time, if only he, we picked him instead of Nathaniel Chalabar, Max. <laughs> oh, oh, I wonder if that's the place to start because we can talk about team selections, players who played in the right positions, what Marco Silva should or shouldn't have done. But I wrote in the preview that this was an opportunity for Nathaniel Chalabar to show us what he'd been brought to the club for, a rare opportunity to uh, to make a statement in the Premier League for him. And he rather took the instruction to uh, replace Xiao Paulina a little too literally, didn't he, Matt? <laughs> it's it's a real embarrassment, Dan. I mean, this this is a player, as you mentioned. It was his chance. Silva had signed him. Silva clearly sees something in him from his time at Watford. What that is, Fulham supporters still don't know. He hasn't started a Premier League match in years. He was a bit part player for us in the championship. And now he's thrown into a massive match in the Premier League. And within eight minutes, he's done something which doesn't have any explanation. I mean, it, it's a clear red. Um, yes, VAR upgraded it. But in all honesty, it was a terrible tackle. You can't stamp someone on an ankle like that studs up in the Premier League in 2022 and walk away on the pitch. You just can't. And it's just so frustrating because everyone knew this was coming. The funny thing was, every single Fulham fan, ever since Paulinho took off his shirt 
or not right, ran into the fans, sorry, at Nottingham Forest, you knew we'd have an issue. You knew there'd be a selection dilemma. And everyone thought, how do we get around the Shalaba issue? And in the end, the way we got around it was that he's off the pitch within 10 minutes. <laughs> but it's it, it just unbelievable, Dan, because we, I wasn't there at Crawley Town. I think a lot of supporters were. And they said how terrible he was against, um, uh, apologies to Crawley Town, League 1 or League 2 opposition. I can't remember. League 2. But not league, go- two. League, two, league 2 opposition, one of the worst teams in the football league. And, and he was poor in that match. And it's like, what did you expect? And I think the larger point here is, yes, Shalaba should be embarrassed and, and his performance was a disgrace, but our lack of depth is concerning. And I think that's a larger theme I think we'll get to later. Well, I think we, we can expand upon that now. I mean, what I would say is it took about a minute and a half to, uh, to, for, for people to, uh, for Mike Dean and, and then for the referee, who I thought was appalling, by the way, regardless of the result. Um, the fact that he couldn't spot that in real time, despite, despite standing there, and then didn't seem to penalise any other uh, fouls by by Newcastle players specifically for the remainder of the game with a yellow card um, was exasperating and a commentary on the on the poor standards of English officiating a subject to which we'll probably return at some point during this podcast but yeah the the the, the issue it crystallizes the issue I mean I was furious with Paulina for for jump bolting the advertising hoarding and celebrating with the fans because passion is great. But he cost us his presence. And he is the player that makes all of these things that make us look good possible. Um, the fact that we don't have a... And I, I, I continue to believe we do have a like-for-like replacement for Jao Paulino. It's Harrison Reed, right? <laughs> Harrison Reed did do that job before Jao Paulino got here. And he could do that job again. But Marco sort of seems to think that Harrison Reed could be a box-to-box midfielder with the best wishes in the world and sincere apologies to Lydia Campbell, who no doubt will listen to this podcast and and, um, berate me later. He's scored one goal in 108 appearances for Fulham and he hasn't got close really to scoring another one. And Harrison Reid looks best when he's at the the anchor of the engine room. You could have played him there and then had somebody else a more progressive midfielder alongside him. You're right, we look better with him off the pitch. I, I would say that not to absolve Silver of, of or, or the club's recruitment team of their failures to recruit another uh, holding midfielder, I would say it's not just Silver who's infatuated with Nathaniel Chalabar. You know, there was a time when uh, a lot of the country thought Nathaniel Chalabar was the ball-winning midfielder that England had been crying out for. I mean, Gareth Southgate gave him a gave him a senior international cap when England went and won in, in, in Spain in the early iterations of the, the Nations League. Um, and he, won, he, he I think he's still the record cap holder for England at under-21 international level. Um, but the problem is he's now 27, I think. So the idea that he's going to fulfil this potential seemingly is... Um, fanciful um, at best, especially when he does something as brainless as that. Because the thing about that was Sean Longstaff was not in a threatening position to score a goal. Um, it was just a crazy tackle. Um, and I suppose we should move, move on, Max, because we could spend the whole podcast berating Mr. Chalabar and it's not really worth it. Um, there are, there were, I, I do think we should ban behind closed doors friendlies Firstly, because it's madness that in the 20, 
in the 21st century, people can't watch the team play a match. Um, secondly, because people seem to continually get injured in arm <laughs> uh, behind closed doors friendlies. The latest, uh, similarly being Kenny Tete and William, um, Anthony Robinson failed his fitness test, which is a huge blow. And I'm sure you'll talk about why in, a, in answer to, to this question. But we then had... Uh, Levin Kazawa, who looks great going forward and didn't look terrible, um, but clearly was only about 40% fit. Um, and we clearly took a risk on Mitrovic that didn't didn't pay off. And all over the pitch, we have little issues in respect to players who we've either just signed or um, players who are having to play with with niggles because we don't have the depth, the Premier League quality depth that a, that a top offside should, should expect. I mean, I do feel like the head coach's hands are a little bit tied in what he can put out there, or am I being unfair here, uh, Max? No, I think it's I think it's fair. I mean, because the squad is 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 quite thin, issues like this, and you mentioned a lot of issues. I mean, it, it is a kind of a mounting injury concern for Fulham, create situations like we saw yesterday. There, as you mentioned, Harrison Reed could could be that like for like replacement. I think I would have preferred that because it would have avoided some of the mess we saw yesterday. But the fact of the matter is, we don't have someone who can be that opposing Palina esque presence that immediately slots in other than Shalaba and that creates issues. And as you mentioned, across the back line, having both starting fullbacks injured. I mean, yes, there's a reason we signed Krizal and, and Babu. It's for situations like this, but it's kind of becoming clear that at the moment. They're not really like for like replacements in terms of quality, which is fine, but it leads to issues like this. Um, and Bob was a weird one, Dan, because he seems to have a tough time. But we loved his substitute appearance early on in the season. I think it was against Brentford, but he wasn't given the chance in, in past matches. He seems very much off the pace defensively. Chris Zawa, you're right, didn't really look fit. You know, Reem. I was going to say in the Forest match, you know, Reem, of course, shifted the fullback and played quite well, but that was when only one fullback was injured. Now you've both injured. I guess Silva didn't want to take that risk. He wanted to keep his, his center-back pairing intact. He was left with a lot of selection dilemmas, I think it's fair to say, and everything kind of went wrong. And But when you when you create your game plan, of course, throughout the international break, you don't account for being down to 10 men eight minutes in. So it really was a difficult situation for him, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, there is no legislating for that level of stupidity, uh, <laughs> frankly. I mean, even, uh, I wondered if it, uh, it is the fastest red card by a Fulham player, I think, in Premier League history, just beating Billy McKinley at Crystal Palace, unless I'm getting this uh, wrong. No, I think it was Ian Pearce at Crystal Palace. I'll need to check that. Um, it doesn't beat Thomas Callas at Reading after 28 seconds. Um, <laughs> but then I still maintain that Thomas Callas was very hardly done by. Um, and we got to point that. that, that, that I was really. about to say that match is very memorable for Lucas <laughs> Piazon getting us a point when none seemed possible um, in the very early days of that, that, that very memorable season. Um, yeah. And I, I'm te- we could do a blow-by-blow uh, account of of how all the goals went in, but I, I uh, apart from that wonder strike from Miguel Almiron that made it Almiron that made it two nil. There, there's probably we we do have to mention that Bernd Leno, you know, prevented it from being double figures. Did he not? He was excellent. He is really reminding me a lot of Ariel in the sense that 
the defense in front of him is so clearly inferior to his shot stopping abilities. And he's just going to have a, a massive season in terms of, of saving goals. The, I think it was the, the third goal in particular, the long staff goal was, I'm sure, especially frustrating for him because what a lovely fingertip save to touch that ball in the post. And then the full and back line is just rooted to the ground and, and long staff taps in an empty net. And I just can't imagine what the feeling is like for a keeper to make a great save only for your defense to let you down like that. I would say that we did look shambolic then in the period after the sending off until halftime. You could even extend that maybe to parts of the second half. It really looked like they could have scored six or seven. And that's when I think my feeling about the match stems from, because yes, as soon as that sending off happened, we had no chance to get anything out of the match. I think that's fair. But the manner in which it happened led led me to be pessimistic because we look so disorganized. Um, but I think that's also because you have two players making their first Premier League starts in that back four, and suddenly they're down to 10. But the effort, the effort on that third goal in particular was really worrying. And, and, and for a stretch of the second half, it looked like, you know, one of my seven-a-side matches I play midweek, just attack <laughs> to defense, massive gaps, people not tracking back. It, it was amateur stuff at times. Sorry, are you describing your own defending? No, 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 no. Let's be clear. <laughs> Tell the listeners where exactly you play in these games. What yeah, your position? I'm, I'm, I'm a left winger, but you know, it depends whether I feel like tracking back. I think is is a fair, fair way to say it. <laughs> <laughs> Does it really? Okay, excellent. I, I'm feeling like we should get together a hammy end team at some point and and see whether people's footballing <laughs> abilities inverse to their level of punditry on this book. Um. But, but we'll leave that for uh, for maybe the summertime. Um, the something you mentioned. I mean, you, you talked about how it feels for Burnt Leno. I mean, I can tell you that I, I sit directly behind the Hampstead goal to the to the left, almost in line with the post that uh, he tipped that ball onto. And after the second goal, he just walked up to Tim Ream with his arms outstretched. And I'm not sure they said very much, um, but. But the gesture, you know, everyone in the Hampstead End, and uh, well, not everyone in the Hampstead End, because there was a couple of there was a couple of hundred Newcastle fans. Um, but n- most people in the Hampstead End, and indeed most people in the ground, would have w- would have felt like that. All, all I would say is, I'm not sure you can like the the thing you said. We looked shambolic between the sending off and half time. From a coaching point of view, and there's a reason why Silver is on the touchline at Craven Cottage and I'm sat in the stand. But I have coached various teams at, at much lower levels. Um, and you immediately make a change when your team goes down to 10 men. If not in personnel, then in um, then in system. Um, and for 10 minutes after the sending off, he had Kenny... Uh, Luke Harris and Josh Onomar, the lesser spotted Josh Onomar, sprinting up and down the Riverside stand touchline. And I was waiting for one of them to come on. And they didn't. And it took until sort of injury time of the, or, or after Kazawa clearly couldn't continue, which would have been after that third goal. They tried to make him, the, the referee wouldn't let them make the change at the kickoff after the third goal. And he tried to continue and then he couldn't. And that's when they made made the changes. But I felt like one of those midfielders should have come on. Because we ended up with a position with about 10 minutes of Bobby Reed playing central midfield next to um, Harrison Reed. And it, 
Bobby Deckard Overeed is a is a terrific player and he scored a lovely header because he never stopped running and so did a lot of other so so did some others um in the second half. But it just seemed odd to me that we were reluctant to make it reminded me of early Roy Hodgson where he was like, I will not make a change until the seventy fifth minute, regardless <laughs> of what is going on on the pitch. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. I think and, and as soon as Kearney came on in that I guess it was late first half or the second half, can't remember. But as soon as Kearney came on the pitch, it was a different story because you had someone who could actually possess the ball and pass it around instead of just everyone kind of being so hurried and you know reactive to the play happening around them. Um, and, and it definitely gave the match a different dimension when we had someone else in the center, in the center of the park. So I think you're right. Substitution probably need to happen a bit quicker, but I agree with, with your assessment that you can't really place much blame on the manager given the freak nature of the match, of the sending off. I mean, do we blame him for the selection decisions he did make? Or is it sort of... I don't know, because... too easy? I was thinking that. I was thinking, why not leave Reem fullback, keep uh, Diop and Tosin as as we did against Forrest, and then, you know, pick pick who you want to put in, in the right-back position. Is it Mbappé? Is it Krizawa? But, like, kind of lessen... Because it's clear that, as you mentioned, Krizawa wasn't fit, Krizawa... Wasn't it wasn't a best debut? He probably wasn't ready. So do you lessen that maybe by by putting Reem out wide? But you know, not isn't, sure. Isn't if... isn't Reem an emergency fullback at the very best? Exactly. Times? And we rather exactly. got away with it against Nottingham Forest. Um, I loved him, Reem to pieces. Uh, he's a centre back, and he's been brilliant at centre back. And we should underline that. And how Greg Baholter doesn't, you know, see <laughs> that here's a player. Um, go, this is another tangent which we won't go down. But how Greg, how Greg, because he could just say how Greg Beholter question mark and we could have a whole podcast. Um, how Greg Beholter doesn't see that this is a player playing, you know, some of the best football of his career defensively at such an advanced age and should be in that American squad. I don't know, but I, I'm quite com- comfortable with keeping Tosin and Ream together as centre backs because they've built, developed an understanding. Now, just to transition it on further, how how worried should we be? This is a freak result, surely, by virtue of the sending off. Had it been 11 against 11, obviously we don't know, but you'd have thought it would have been a bit closer. Um, and in the context of the season and the start that we've had, Fulham fans shouldn't be depressed this afternoon at all, should they? No, they shouldn't be. I think the only reason which made it a bit more depressing was Mitro. Because not only did we get thrashed 4-1, not only did we kind of have to endure 80 minutes of playing with 10 men, but our salvation, the only hope we have of staying in this division, went off injured and it didn't it didn't look great. Yeah, but Dan, you were telling me off air a bit more what happened on the incident, which I didn't know. But if Mitrovic is injured, it, it's it's a five alarm fire because Carlos Vinicius isn't he's not Mitro. No one's Mitro. And well, no, if we lose no. that that source of goals, then we're in massive trouble. Massive. In, in the same way that, you know, expecting anyone to compensate for Jao Paulina is a huge ask. And we should have said this at the time, you know. We paid £17.2 million, apparently, up front for Paulina. And he's clearly an extraordinary footballer. That's a gamble. Um, right. Now... Mitrovic, you won't get another Mitrovic unless you've got £200 million burning a hole in your pocket, and I don't have that, so we'll move on. Um, Now, no one's going to replace Mitrovic, but there are two things about this. Firstly, 
Uh, I think he probably could have carried on uh, and would have done were it nil nil, 11 against 11. What's the point in flogging him into the ground when we're not going to win a game 2 0 down with, with, with 10 men? And Mitrovic is a great source of goals, but we are seeing gradually in the last couple of weeks other people score goals. Tosin, in that wonderful six minutes at Nottingham Forest, three people who weren't called Mitrovic scored goals. <laughs> And we did score a goal with 10 men, which we should mention, a very good goal too, um, that also occurred with Mitrovic off the pitch. Um, and, and you say it's he's pivotal to our survival hopes. Of course he is. But there are other ways of playing. And there are, the, it, the key thing is that, you know, a week, a week from today, we will have some key players back at, uh, at West Ham. Harry Wilson will be a week closer to fitness, and I do think he adds a different option um, to the team. And we haven't seen him yet in the Premier League, so and I do think that was almost a damage limitation substitution to give Mitrovic a week to sort his obviously sore ankle out. No, I hope so. I think that was my next question: is how serious do you think this is? Hopefully, just a precaution. I hope you're right. Um, because if he's back next week, then everything's fine. But that, we just have uncertainty. I don't really think Silva addressed it in his post-match presser. I think he said something along the lines of, you know, we'll, we'll gonna, have to see. They're going to assess it. Now, I'm not a medical professional, clearly. I've spent a lot of time in <laughs> hospitals um, for good and ill. Uh, nobody knows at the moment, because I think the scan will be tomorrow. But he was fit enough to play for, for Serbia in a crucial game in in midweek, and there were no after effects of that. Seemingly, now he was clearly probably only about seventy percent fit because he'd done the travelling and he, he trained. But it was, you know, you're always going to start Mitrovic if you're able to, um, and we'll wait and see. But he walked off the field, right? He wasn't stretched off the field. He did give Mitrovic, uh, did Mitrovic did give Silver a fist bump. And we've got a week to see how he goes. Um, and Carlos Vinicius is raw, but I'm quite impressed so far in terms of, you know, he'll certainly run around and occupy defenders and had the ball bounce for him a little bit better with one chance in the first half and then in the second half. He might have had a, a shot, uh, an opportunity to shoot on goal. <laughs> given, <laughs> given that he was playing with only nine other players... You know, you're laughing at me, Max. So oh, tell me well, why I'm, you're laughing. I'm laughing because you reminded me um, that we didn't get a shot on target until like the hour mark, which is really funny. That was kind of a funny little bit going on in this match was that we couldn't even get a shot or touch in the opposition box until late into the second half, which is another reason why I think people are so upset is because we were so no, nothing going forward. Not to be unexpected with 10 men, but it became a joke in itself. That even when players had a chance to pull the trigger, it seems like they were allergic to doing it. Well, I mean, that 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 is a long-standing Fulham problem in that we to, seek to score the perfect goal rather than have a go from distance. And, you know, perhaps we need Paulina on the pitch to remind people that you can shoot from 25 yards and it might go in the goal. Um, I, I would just say some of the reaction, uh, and maybe I'm just an old man now, but I've been going to Fulham for a long time. And there were many, many times when you go along on a Saturday afternoon, the opposition were clearly superior to what Fulham had managed to put out. And people would just spend the afternoon, the rest of the afternoon, paying more attention to the boats going along the River Thames. 
than the football um, because, you know, Fulham in the dark days were not very good. Um, and, and frequently, even with 11 players, you'd have very few shots on target. Um, uh, when we were in the third or, or fourth division and the goalkeeper, the opposition goalkeeper, you know, who was a, was a spectator who didn't pay to get in. Um, now, I, I do think it was a rather freak result and I just wanted to return to that uh, as we finish. Um, can we assess Fulham's first first two months in the in back in the top flight it surely we're 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 eighth in the table as we currently speak with 11 points from eight games um it, we couldn't have reasonably expected it to go better than this could we max no i think i think you're right that in the grand scheme of things the loss of the setback and it was a setback because it was a winnable match at home and that now that's that's gone and we lost by three goals and it took a bit of a hit to our goal difference so in that respect, it's it's disappointing. But as you mentioned, eighth in the league. I mean, I think anyone would have been happy with 17th in the league at this stage, as long as you're not in the bottom three. For so many seasons in the Premier League in recent memory, we've been bottom at this point. You know, we, we've been winless. If that, maybe one win. You know, we've, we've conceded boatloads of goals. We've struggled to score. And this time around, thanks to Marco Silva, thanks to the signings, Thanks to a bit of luck, but that's what you need. We look like a team who belongs in the Premier League. I think that's the main thing I want to make clear is that we don't look out of place in this division. And I'd say last time in the Premier League, the time before that, the time before that, et cetera, we did look out of place. We looked a team who was just kind of pretending, playing the part. But right now, we're a Premier League side, and I think the results have showed that. And there, there is a listener element to this. I've been many of our listeners listen to both you and I and Russ Goldman on Cottage Talk for many years. And on Cottage Talk, when you've been responding either to an assessment of the the squad or a particularly grievous loss in the Premier League, you've gone through the squad and said, "This is a Premier League player. This <laughs> is not a Premier League player." I mean. Uh, there are quite a few listeners who would like to know how many Premier League players on the on the Cohen sort of barometer <laughs> um, are have we have we got at present? Um, and doesn't it look good? To, uh, I do think we need to underline how well Fulham have adapted to the challenge, given that we've also won a game away from home. You know, clearly we're a much more attacking side than the last one that stunk out the the Premier League um, under a manager whose name I, I won't mention, uh, but we all know who we're talking about. You know, how many bona fide Premier League players do we have, Max? And how good is it to be competitive, as you say? Yeah, I mean, we, we have world-class players now. I mean, Palinia, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say he might be one of the best players to play for Fulham in recent memory. He is that good. Chout, though, Leno seven appearances, no? It's just in terms of quality he has, though, Dan. I mean, it's just it's so clear that this is someone who can easily fit in in a Champions League side and and, and has done. I mean, didn't he come from yes. a team who's playing in, yes. in the top-level yes. European competition last season? And and I think we, we've signed players like that in the past, you know, Nguisa, Seri, etc. But when they've come to the Premier League, they, they seem very ill-suited to it. He's someone who can fit in in this division and thrive. Um, so it, it might be a bit soon, but I think he has that potential. We have a Mitrich who's firing at all cylinders. But what we also have, I think there are a lot of Premier League players, and I think that's that's a good point to make. We have players who are stepping up and showing us things we didn't think we'd ever see. 
the, the center back pairing of Tosin and Reem, you could argue those players have big deficiencies and aren't consistent. But because of Palina and because of Marco Silva, they've stepped up. Same with Tete and Robinson. Again, these players have shown issues in the Premier League in the past, and Silva seems to be making them a better man, a better players. And that, I think, is something that's really important because that's the same back four, really, we had in the championship. And they're stepping up. I think that's due to the manager. Yeah, I'll make you right. And you touched on Leno there. I mean, obviously, Leno is a proven Premier League and continental goalkeeper who will save us points at some point in this season. Um, and that's crucial. The element that you also touched on was the manager making existing players better. And that was a huge thing that Jean Tigana did, you know, 20 years ago now with existing players. You know, he made uh, Premier League players out of people like Rufus Brevitt and Barry Hales and extended the careers of Andy Melville and people like that, long-time servants of Fulham Football Club, where there was a question mark each level they went up. Of course, he cultivated other fantastic players and we benefited from bringing in the likes of Edwin van der Sar and Steve Malbronk. And he, he found someone called Louis Saha, who no one on, on this side of the channel had heard of. And obviously, Louis became a superstar um, very quickly. Um, and that is management at, uh, at its heart. It's finding a way to finding a way to make existing players better, but also the confidence with which the team is willing to. I mean, there was a passage of play yesterday where we had a throw after about twenty minutes or one nil down in the in the sort of Newcastle right back position, advanced on the left wing, and we kept the ball for about ten passes. But because we were so uh, confident in the way we were knocking it around. We assured the opportunity to swing it in towards Mitrovic, which we probably should have done to play the percentages. But we were still stroking the ball around with 10 players, um, true to the attacking philosophy and the ball uh, and keeping hold of possession the way Silva wants us to play. And the encouraging thing is, Slavisia Kanovic tried to do that with Fulham. Um, and it didn't quite work, although I maintain he was sacked far too early. Um, Silver is uh, clearly a, uh, a better coach and a more experienced coach than than Jukanovic, and he's gone with the same philosophy, almost Kevin Keegan like. Of you know, we you might score four Newcastle, <laughs> but with ten players, we'll score about eight, or we'll try and score eight. Now, clearly, that wasn't going to happen, um, but it is a refreshing way of approaching things, and you know, we should say that we're still in the top half of the Premier League after taking a bit of a hammering yesterday. And that should be should be applauded, no? Should should be applauded, should be lauded, you know, should be touted. It, it's an amazing accomplishment, especially considering some of the opposition we've played. I mean, the draw against Liverpool. That 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 I think was the match when we knew that we're not just here to make the numbers this year. You know, we gave Arsenal a real run for their money. We beat Brighton. We beat Brighton. Brighton's one of the best teams in the league this year. Yeah. We can say that confidently. Having it's now October, they're excellent. You know, we beat them at home, big scalp. You know, and what we have, and I think this is a good good place to transition. We have a winnable run of fixtures coming up. It's gonna be a massive October for us. We we're in this position, eighth in the league, eleven points, and I think we have a chance to really build on that. It's not like we're facing the big boys coming up. We have West Ham away, Bournemouth home, massive match, Villa home, Leeds away. Everton home, 
and that's our October. There's a real chance, Dan, to solidify our top half of the table position and maybe ease the nerves as we head into the second half of the season post-World Cup. And maybe we have a very nice May. You know, maybe yeah. we're not worrying about going down. It's way too early to say, knock on wood, but there is a chance there, I think, right? I was going to say, how much have you been drinking this early in the United <laughs> States? But uh, I, I do think if Frank Lampard lasts that long, the visit of Everton at the end of October could be quite enjoyable um, <laughs> to, to Craven Cottage. Right. Um, we're going to wrap it up here. Thanks, Max, so much for uh, getting up at an ungodly hour, whatever time it is, uh, wherever you are. Really appreciate it. I did want to say thank you to everyone who's uh, given us such support in our early weeks of this podcast experiment. We're certainly going to continue it until the end of the season, given the wonderful feedback we have had. Thank you to everyone who's contributed to our podcast and indeed to the website and left um some comments just to finish Fulham's under 21s who beat Everton on Friday night at Mosby Park 2-0 are back in action on uh, Wednesday evening at Craven Cottage in the Premier League International Cup against Valencia do get along to that and we want to give our best wishes to the Fulham women who are about to embark in FA Cup or on FA Cup action uh, at New Haven uh, this afternoon I've been Dan Crawford. He's been Max Cohen. Thanks very much for listening to The Green Pole. Come on, you whites.